Okay, should I start it? Mm-hmm. Little boy dog, little boy dog, everybody loved that little boy dog. Everybody loves him, wants to be with him. Everybody loves to run beside him, little boy. Little boy dog, little boy dog. Who's that dog with balls of thunder? Who's gonna tear those gives a Sunday little boy? Oh, little boy! Little boy! Welcome back to the Townies Podcast, where we present original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. Big thanks to Ken Eros, April Theriault, Wolfie, and Birdie for opening up this week's episode with Little Boy Dog, a classic family dog lullaby. Balls of thunder. (laughs) Nice work, Ken. You're a regular Bob Dylan. Balls, Dylan. (laughs) As always, I am your host, Kim Maxwell, and the stories you're about to hear were developed in my writing and performance workshop in Ventura County, California. Up first on the podcast today is the wildly talented Doug Green, my dear friend and president of the Townies Board of Directors. My Southern kin are a highly entertaining bunch. In our first wave of immigration, we came from Northern Europe, France and Scotland mostly, while others came to the New World to escape imprisonment or religious persecution. Our forebears came here because we'd run out of people to persecute. (laughs) Welcome back to the Townies podcast, my angel. Thank you, Kim. It's great to be here. So, Doug Green, how long have you been writing for? Oh, my gosh. That is such an interesting question. I was first published when I was five years old. I wrote a book report called I Kissed a Seal at the Zoo, (laughs) and it got uh, published in the Arkansas Siftings Herald, uh, and that was 1960. So there you go. Wow, that's fancy. That's a good long time, right? That is a good long time. <laughs> no, honestly, I always sort of self-identified as a writer because I did have those uh, interesting little uh, juvenile pieces uh, uh, that I, I did and hung out with a group of, of boys in Arkadelphia that uh, that wrote little stories and, and shared their work together. Uh, but uh, I never really, as an adult pursued that, even though in the back of my mind, I've always thought of myself as a writer until I met you. And you gave me the opportunity to come to a writing class. And I think that was, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And I have been just diligently pursuing building a body of work and um, 
improving myself as a writer since then. And so I, I feel like I'm on this path of becoming the storyteller that I want to be. You do have like a, a full-time career as a brilliant nonprofit consultant by day, sort of like a Clark Kent of the nonprofit sector kind of thing. How did you end up in that field? By accident. Hmm. Everything in my life is seems to be purely by accident. I uh, was taking a break from white-collar work. I was working as a gardener for my friend Randy Arnowitz. And I'd been doing it a couple of years and I was totally exhausted. I had some friends from Ventura over and they asked me, you know, what I was doing. And I told them and they said, how would you like to be the executive director of um, the AIDS nonprofit in Ventura County? And I was like, but I've, I've never done anything like that before. And they said, that's okay. We're, we're not paying anything really. So <laughs> it's, it's a perfect fit. So that was my start. Wow. So, but now you are a major consultant for a really an extraordinary company that you love, and you're serving nonprofits all over, all over the country. That's right. I work for a national firm. We do strategy work and business planning for nonprofits. And honestly, it's my dream job. It's Aww. it's uh, it's delightful. Every every day I get up and get to do something meaningful and different. You do good work, and they do good work, and it's just the match made in heaven. But with as busy as they keep you, how do you find time for your writing, for your art, for your craft? Well, I think the the secret has been to be in class mm-hmm. as much as I can be, uh, to carve out time during class periods where I take a half day a week uh, to advance a story that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is deadline driven. I get on the Kim Maxwell bus and <laughs> I had that 11 weeks to develop a piece and I just go for it. And storytelling and, and writing sort of intersect with your passion as, a, as an advocate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I've come to understand is that when you're working in the nonprofit sector and you're trying to be uh, noticed uh, in order to build support for your cause, that Mm -hmm. the best case for support is a well-told story. And so I started off doing this for selfish reasons. I wanted to express myself personally. And what I found was that uh, just being able to be a better storyteller made me a better nonprofit leader. Hmm. Um, So I also know that you have another passion. And one of those is to working with and inspiring the next generation of artists and activists. How does your work as a nonprofit leader and your work as a storyteller spill over into working with the next generation? Well, I think it's two things. Uh, One is that um, I find that the words of inspiration come much more quickly to me having crafted a story or two to tell about my trajectory. But I think even more important than that, um, one of the disciplines that we really build 
at Kim Maxwell's studio and with the townies is that of listening well to mm-hmm. others. And so I find that a lot of my work in inspiring uh, young leaders is really listening to them mm-hmm. and uh, validating their experiences and encouraging them simply by being present for their process and their growth. And um, I am so grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to continue to develop that, uh, that deep listening well, all of the entire teen class thinks that you are the coolest person ever in the history of the world. There are teenagers who think I'm cool. There are okay, lots I of can die now. <laughs> <laughs> what inspires you about this generation, this new up and coming Z and millennial generation? I'm going to have to 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 choose someone to say what inspires me about them. And I I hope that this covers it. But one thing I've noticed is that they, generally speaking, don't have much patience for doing stuff that is not purposeful. Mm. Uh, I think my... Young cousin Ben is an example. He decided in late middle school that he was going to pursue a life as a dancer. He hadn't really taken that much dance before, but he threw himself into it. Uh, Went to Las Vegas Academy um, and uh, graduated with a a dance degree or a dance uh, major in high school and uh, is now a principal at Batsheva uh, Dance Company in Tel Aviv. But to me, he he represents that generation of uh, uncompromising principle and dedication to do the work necessary. But it's that combination. Like a lot of people are hardworking and a lot Mm -hmm. of people are uncompromising, but the two things together, the having a vision for your life, Mm -hmm. having a sense of purpose for your life, and then pursuing it with a dedicated um, discipline, Mm -hmm. I think is, um, is awesome. Wow. I think that then this is a perfect place to play your amazing and fabulous piece, It's Complicated. Let's do it. My family immigrated to this country in 1965 from Arkansas, seeking... (laughs) Seeking a life beyond unhealthy, humidity, collard greens, and the piggly wiggly. Yet, we are always drawn back. My Aunt Wanda's house in Sugarland, Texas is the center of the green universe. I walk in, set my bag down in a corner, and get pulled into the kitchen for a marathon of family reminiscence. Terrifying childhood illnesses, precocious children, and the odd man-boys punk and chink. Today's theme is horrific head injuries. It includes Megan's car accident, the long-term effects of Larland landing headfirst on the sidewalk while being left to cool on a windowsill, and Uncle Punk falling to his death from a sweet gum tree he was pruning on the 4th of July. <laughs> All of this served up with an endless supply of sweet tea, cornbread, and fried okra. 
My southern kin are a highly entertaining bunch. In our first wave of immigration, we came from northern Europe, France and Scotland mostly, while others came to the New World to escape imprisonment or religious persecution, our forebears came here because we'd run out of people to persecute. <laughs> My cousin Megan is a rock star in Houston. She looks like a pageant winner with her enormous blonde bouffant and her glossy white teeth. Frankly, Megan is hot. She is slender in all the right places and curvy in the other places, and she has a reserved parking space at the First Baptist Church in downtown Houston. I am amazed that a creature such as Megan swam right out of my very own gene pool and strutted down the pool deck, dispensing smiles and saving souls every step of the way. In L.A., you take one look at her and say, who is this woman's plastic surgeon? <laughs> so, it comes as a surprise when Megan phones me up at Aunt Wanda's house the morning after we arrive and invites me to go to church with her. Well, not church per se. She's teaching the Bible school teachers how to teach. I'm even more surprised when I hear a voice that sounds very much like my own, but with a slightly deeper drawl, say, Why, I'd love to. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, <laughs> I've secretly admired Megan since she started self-identifying as Nancy Sinatra in junior high. <laughs> but beyond the whole boots are made for walking thing... My fascination with her is curious, uh, especially since, since she seems to be looking for some essential brokenness that will explain my life to her, that will negate all that I have fought to claim as a proud and whole and complete man of the gay persuasion. Megan picks me up in the late afternoon. She is meticulously coiffed and wearing this white wool suit with a strand of pearls against a creamy white satin blouse. The whole thing just screams, I'm the Sunday school teacher to the stars, and I'm here to teach the Bible school teachers how it's done. And I, I like changed five times before finally settling on the tightest pair of slightly torn skinny jeans in my suitcase and a black cashmere sweater. Simple, yet elegant. <laughs> my outfit shouts back, I'm here, I'm queer, and Sunday school, how quaint! <laughs> Inside the First Baptist Church, the throng of people in the lobby parts like the Red Sea as Megan strides through, flashing her glossy smile. I follow, suddenly wishing I'd borrowed some clothes from one of my cousins because every man here is wearing dockers, a button-down shirt, and a belt. No one is wearing torn jeans. But once in class, I relax, remembering to breathe and remind myself that I am whole and complete. I'm surprised to see that Megan doesn't seem at all embarrassed to be seen with me. She guides me to a seat in the front of the room and introduces me to a few people sitting nearby. Megan is taking care of me, and against my will, I get this warm, squishy feeling inside. The class consists of about 25 middle-aged men and women who have that semi-harried yet purposeful look of people who've come directly from work. 
There's a small dais at the front of the room with a lectern. Megan steps to the stage, lowers her head, and spreads her arms and commands, let us pray. Lord, bless our minds with understanding and our hearts with gentle surrender to your will. And then she looks up with a thousand watt grin and she says, this is the Corinthians class. If you're looking for Thessalonians, it's down the hall. <laughs> and she is off. We are not going to mess around with 1 Corinthians. We're going to go straight to 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Let's rock and roll. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers because what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? She is drilling them on the scripture. You can hear the flimsy pages of their Bibles rustling as they desperately try to keep up. And strangely, at that moment, I feel a deep love for Meg Ann. She delights me. On the way home to Aunt Wanda's house, Meg Ann talks about her ministry and catalogs the recent places she's given speeches around the world, Bangladesh, Tokyo, Bakersfield. <laughs> Places with one primary thing in common, they are fertile ground for the unsaved to find Jesus. The theme of her next book is childhood sexual abuse and the way home from it. She urges me to sit for a moment in the car outside Aunt Wanda's house to finish our talk. She rests her back against the door of her Escalade and fixes me with her most earnest look. And the way she looks at me is confounding, as if she's looking directly into me to find the place in me where we are connected, where our very different paths converge. And I so want to go there with her. She declares, I'm interested to know if childhood sexual abuse is, as I suspect, something that is passed down from generation to generation like grandma's dishes. What follows is a meandering, yet strangely provocative monologue on the spiritual impact of adverse childhood experience. I sit in stunned silence as I realize that Megan has just come out to me as a sex abuse survivor. Are you saying that you were sexually assaulted by a family member when you were little? What I am saying is that sexual depravity seems to have been passed down in our family from father to son. Think about it, cuz. It explains so much. Depravity? Wait, is that, is that what you think? Well, it's really not about what I think. I can tell you what the Bible says. But I would never presume to sit in judgment myself. I'm conflicted. On the one hand, I love Megan and I want to protect the little girl that I shared Barbies and show tunes with. But I'm definitely feeling conflicted. Ah. And then she presses me. Come on, Douglas. Was there never a time in your childhood when you felt abused by Uncle Roy? I rack my brain, I smooth my brows, I remind myself that I am whole and complete. Well, he did make me play baseball. <laughs> and then she gives me the look that manages to convey both annoyance and a deep disappointment that she couldn't find the place where we are connected. 
And I want to reassure her that there are places where I am broken, just not the things that she thinks are broken. Besides the baseball thing, I have an almost impossible time finding a boyfriend. And I have a pathological inability to choose appropriate clothes for church. <laughs> Megan, I am so sorry. Do you need to talk about what happened? Megan starts the car and says, no, I'm fine. I need to get home. I love you, cuz. So 20 some odd years later, and I'm driving around now with a torn and yellowed VIP parking pass for my cousin's ministry. It says, Living Proof Live Staff. And people notice. They ask, what's that? And I tell them, oh yeah, that's from my cousin's show from like five months ago. I'm keeping it as a souvenir from our teary reunion. After decades of wondering what she was up to at these ginormous gatherings of women seeking Jesus, imagining the worst possible scenarios, guilt, mortification of the body and the ego, more guilt, more mortification, and then shaming, I finally get a chance to see her do her Living Proof Live thing. At 60 and standing all of five foot four inches in her kids, she is still impressive. Her blonde mop isn't as big as it was years ago, but her teeth still are. <laughs> and her smile knocks me on my butt as I spot her near the stage at The Rock, a megachurch in Point Loma. I'm there with 10,000 mostly white suburban housewives in a reserved seat on the front row with Tina and Jesse from Encinitas. They greet me with warm hugs, and somewhere in their eyes I can see them telegraphing have you been saved? <laughs> I'm focused on a painful childhood memory and muster my most inscrutable look to ward them off. <laughs> and I blurt out, I know, this happens to me. I think I was the only boy in high school with a subscription to Ms. Magazine. <laughs> and then Megan really does save me by inviting me to sit beside her during the musical warm-up a rock band with a lead singer that sounds surprisingly like Chris Martin from Coldplay, <laughs> offers up a collection of upbeat anthems that announce his glory, while Megan and I whisper furtively. She apologizes for the heavy security, and I try to reassure her, hey, baby, I, I want you to be safe. <sighs> the show includes a dizzying tour of the Old and New Testaments, a segment where Megan dances to the title track from Footloose in jeans and a baseball shirt. <laughs> Some funny stories from Megan's childhood. She points me out and says that she always suspected that she should have been born into my side of the family. She has the blonde hair and blue eyes of the Roy Greens. Her siblings reflect our French ancestors, mostly dark-haired and dark-eyed. I asked my mama about that, and she said, Well, that's funny. When I first saw you in the hospital, I told the nurse, Lord have mercy, she looks just like my brother-in-law. <laughs> I look around, and everyone is completely and totally in love with Megan. And they are so happy that this powerful woman is telling them that they have everything they need. They're home, safe, saved. And even though it's not my thing, I've got to hand it to her. Megan is a wonderful minister, 
People are completely captivated, lifted up by her stories and her charisma. I won't remember much of what she says. I'm pretty sure not a word of it's true. (laughs) But it is brilliant. And she's still super hot. I work overtime to do this simultaneous interpretation of her talk in my head. God becomes universal truth or higher power, depending on the context. (laughs) Submission becomes going with the flow, being in the question. And when all of that fails me, I remind myself that I am whole and complete. The real message is her power. She can say anything she wants about the power of submission. In gay circles, we call that topping from below. (laughs) But this woman, this woman is a power top. And throughout the whole thing, Megan and I are having this silent exchange between us. She's eyeing me with a look that says, Hey, cuz, check me out. I'm an evangelist. And I'm like, no shit, Megan. You go, girl. (laughs) So... When people ask how I feel about being an expat Arkansan or having an evangelical cousin who probably cannot picture a future for me that does not include a long, slow dance over licking flames, (laughs) I gotta say, it's complicated. This version of It's Complicated was performed by Doug Green in November 2018. Oh my God, I love It's Complicated. I love that piece because it is so complicated. Uh, And I think that most of us struggle with this idea that you tackle so beautifully in this piece. What do we do? when we have wildly differing opinions from our family members that we love or struggle with? You know, I think one thing that may or may not come across in the story is that Mm -hmm. I come from a very religious background, that I was raised uh, in the church Uh, by folks who were believers and Mm -hmm. who encouraged me to practice Christianity. And I often say that I hit the sweet spot with um, all of that because I came of age in the church at a time when they were not talking a lot about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that in the late 70s, when I was awakening and coming out, Mm -hmm. the church suddenly awakened and came out against (laughs) gay people in a big way. And so Mm -hmm. it created such a tension in me because the reality is I loved my upbringing in the church. Mm -hmm. I had such a great experience. And I feel like that is not an experience that I would trade for anything in the world. I love the fact that my parents had a spiritual director in our pastor who really taught them about faith in action. What does faith look like not on Sunday? How do you treat other people? How do you honor other people deeply? Um, 
Yeah. So then you've dealt you've dealt with this thing within your family then throughout your entire lifetime. I have. I have. Um, and uh, I noticed that uh, everyone in my family has had to go through some kind of a reevaluation process mm-hmm. because the simple answers, you know, uh, didn't suffice. Uh, we had to look deeper. And one of the things that I have provided to my family mm-hmm. is an opportunity for them to rethink their own uh, belief around what it means to be gay. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, because of my relationship with Meg Ann, who I simply adore, mm-hmm. I have had to reevaluate my hard line or my angry stance against all things evangelical. I, mm-hmm. I get that there's so much beauty in a life of, of faith and uh, a life of living into one's belief uh, with conviction and compassion and um, determination to make the world a better place in that way that I, I have to soften. And um, I think that's been good for me. Hmm. Well, how, how do you stay true to yourself and make room for all of who they are at the same time? It's tricky. <laughs> it's complicated, Doug. <laughs> it's super, super complicated. I just like to, to, to keep coming back to the prime point, and that is that um, I love these people mm. so much that no philosophical or religious difference could come between me and my love for them. So things are good with you and Megan. Absolutely. Oh, I am so happy that you have found connection and acceptance from your family. There are a lot of young LGBTQIA plus folks that will not have that opportunity for various reasons. What would be your words of compassion or, or advice for those folks that are not going to be given the opportunity to find acceptance and love through their family? Well, I think one of the big lessons of our movement is that we have options. We can create family. There's family out there for you. Go find it. Um, And the other thing I would say is be patient because uh, our strategy all along has been Come out, be authentic, share with others who you are truly, and then be willing to wait for them to come around. Because a lot of this has been a waiting game for me. Mm. I waited a long time for this connection with Megan to turn around and come mm. back to me. And uh, it was definitely worth the wait, oh. every minute of it. Doug Green, thank you so much for coming and spending um, the afternoon in the studio with Ken and I. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. I love you. I love you. Mwah. Mwah.
Coming up, Kelly Delmanzano. Lately, I've been more and more distant with Pa, and I would like to know him better. Since he's your son, uh, I was hoping you can illuminate me. I haven't been having the best relationship with Pa. This is what I know about him. He is a short Hispanic, hardworking, rusty, aging, 50-something-year-old man. As tall as me. Uh, that's where I get my height from. Hi, townies. This is Ken Eros, engineer and co-producer of the podcast, and now music contributor. I wrote today's track, Hero, to explore the innocent and carefree hopes and dreams of our youth and the point at which they cross over and morph into the more universal and selfless hopes and dreams of adulthood. The song features Jimmy Caleri on Hammond B3, Mike Velasquez on bass, and the great Robert Riccelli on drums. This one's for you, A.B.
And that was sound mixing and engineering genius producer man Ken Eros with his song Hero, written for his beautiful and brilliant wife, April. Have you met Ken before at any events? This is Kelly Delmanzano. Hi. This is Ken this Eros. Is Kelly. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm going to see you over there. Kelly graduates from high school, though. Our next and final guest on the podcast today is teen class extraordinaire Kelly Delmanzano. Thank you so much for coming into Ken's fabulous studio today. Hi, Miss Kelly. Hi, Miss Maxwell. <laughs> Miss Maxwell. Oh, it makes me sound really grown up. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm a grown up. You're almost a grown up. Well, I am 19. You are, but there's also something else very special happening today. Oh, yes. My graduation. From? Nordoff High School. Yay! You're graduating today at 6.30 p.m. at Nordoff High School? Yep. Okay, how does that feel? It hasn't hit me yet. Man, it has been a long time coming. You have mm -hmm. worked so hard for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. I bet. And school has not always been easy for you. Mm -mm. Ups and downs all the time. Well, with all the ups and downs, how do you push yourself through those times when it's really, really hard and it's really heavy, but it's really important that you get through it? What do you do to keep your bucket full and get through it? Well, it sounds corny because I do it all the time with you, but I only write. <laughs> I only write. I used to have a diary and stuff, but mm -hmm. now like my imagination just flows a lot. When I'm really stressed, I talk about like my character and how she's stressed. Good, so you just put your bad day on top of your character and let her deal with it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. That's really great. Well, is there anything that, like, are there any writers or are there any um, books or films or anything like that that motivate you through those difficult times? Um, Other people's writing? Yes. I'm actually writing a play, mm -hmm. and it, this play that inspired me was called The Death of a Salesman. <gasps> Arthur Miller, mm -hmm. that's a monster good play. It is, and mm -hmm. I totally forgot that my character, I just wrote her name. It was like Melanie Miller, and I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> that's the last name of the author. Oh, wow. That's cool, though. So Arthur Miller inspired you then? Yeah, I read The Crucible at mm. Nordoff with my favorite math, my favorite math teacher, my favorite English teacher, Mr. Mm -hmm. Andrews, and mm -hmm. it just... I don't know. I fell in love with him, and then I got into other like plays, and then it inspired me. Hmm. Well, what other what other plays is Mr. Is Mr. Andrews? Mr. Andrews is my English teacher. Let's give a big shout out to our good teachers that we love, Mr. Andrews. Thank you so much. What other plays did he introduce you to? Mm, just Othello. Oh, so you did some Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Did you get to do Macbeth? Yes, we did. <gasps> stabby, stabby. Yeah. Everybody dies. And it's a really <laughs> short play, too. It is. It's his shortest. Uh-huh. I did a drama at school for Mr. Hoy, but mm -hmm. I also, like, that was the drama, that was the play, but I didn't read it thoroughly mm -hmm. until Mr. Andrews. Oh, yeah. that's my favorite of his plays, just so you know. Yeah. The most popular is Hamlet. Have you read that? Oh, Hamlet? No. <gasps> no, I didn't. Oh, you have something to look forward to. It's very, <laughs> it's my very homework exciting. for the summer. Uh, it is a great, it is a, it is an amazing play. Um, and so you, is Mr. Hoy another one of your teachers that you love? 
Yeah, I've known him since I was little because of the dance workshop, because mm-hmm. his um, wife, Miss Hoy, was mm-hmm. a dance teacher. Mm-hmm. And I did the whole entire Nordoff High School, like, student, child, oh. like, workshop, dance workshop. Mm-hmm. And I was in it. And he was there every single year supporting. Oh, wow. And he saw me grow up. Oh, that's really lovely. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you discovered that creative writing or expressing yourself on the page with a pen was for you? I think it was right before I went into the Ohio Players Conference that one year mm-hmm. in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first year in Matilaha. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was, like I said, in my last piece, seventh grade was the worst mm-hmm. year and of my life. is our local junior high school. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And it was just like such a hard transition from Topa Topa Elementary School to Matilaha. Mm-hmm. And it was, it just bombarded me with homework, 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 each like class after class after class, all these things. Mm-hmm. And then like my friends were like partying and all these things and then writing, I don't know, it just clicked. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You felt like you could hear yourself again? Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. You have, over the course of your time in my class, which has been how many years now? Six. Six years. You have developed quite a little community of folks, a support structure around you. What does it mean for you to have this weekly group of folks to rely on to bounce your stuff off of and what does that feel like to you as an artist oh it's amazing like having so many individuals that are super different like most of the people that I meet I've never seen before I've never heard of them or anything and when I meet them it's just like oh you're an amazing person and I love you so much (laughs) never leave me ever (laughs) oh so it, it expands like your universe of people that you know yeah I used to be very isolated and mm-hmm. like, oh, the first day of our class at the Ohio <sighs> Players Conference 2014, absolutely shy in the back of their room. And then mm-hmm. Emilio and then Saul just like, hey, like, come over here. And uh, then after that day, everyone in there, I still remember everyone's name. I still remember mm-hmm. everyone's faces. I still like follow them on Instagram, everything. I, I see them and then they bring me like happy memories. Oh, well, you know what? You're that person now. Oh. And it's true. You're the person that goes up to the new person and you're like, hey, That's, come over here yeah. and hang out and do this and it'll get better. And you go ahead and be shy until you feel like you don't want to Exactly. Anymore. When I see kids like that, mm-hmm. I say, wow, you remind me of myself and I can't wait for you to become like, not me, but expand. The larger version of themselves. Exactly. bigger larger version of yourself exactly well tell me about your next bigger larger version of yourself because you're about to head off to college yeah congratulations by the way thank you you're going to santa barbara city right yes such a great school such a great town such a beautiful campus it is do you know what's next or are you just going to throw yourself into the abyss of academia and take everything in the whole world (laughs) I'm only using like I'm only taking English math and I had to use I had to pick a major class Mm -hmm. and I want to major in English oh wow but Mm -hmm. under pressure I accidentally um picked what was it um physics <laughs> oh no, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> no, I picked film studies. Oh, okay. But I did it under pressure and then I'm like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. It is pretty good. There's a really great abroad program there, too, that takes you to Milan. Yeah. So that. that can be super fun. Yeah, exactly. Boy, I hope you just take everything in the whole world. I think yeah. I can hardly wait to ste- to watch you step into this larger version of yourself. Yeah. Because you're already kind of spectacular just the way you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't want you to be any other way other than how you are right now in this moment. Just, you know, more. Just more Kelly. Mark Kelly is Mark. better. <laughs> I concur. Here is Dear Abuelita by Kelly Del Manzano. Dear Abuelita, I will officially meet you in two days. I can't wait to meet you. Abuelito, Tio Israel, y todos de mis primos. I've never left the country before. I'm especially looking forward to being in a place where so many people look like me. I'm excited to see the vendors, but I'm most excited about meeting you, Abuelita. Being in this whole new environment will be life-changing. This summer, the only thing I've done is work at Rainbow Bridge, which is a hippie health food store in Ojai. (laughs) It's always the same, hi, how are you? Do you need a bag? Uh, Debit or credit? Top is credit, bottom is debit. Do you want your receipt? It's the same thing over and over again for eight hours every day. Right after work, I head home and I have to kiss Pa, no matter what. If he's mad at me, I kiss him. If he's sleeping, I kiss him. It's no, I can't right now. There's no excuse. Lately, I've been more and more distant with Pa, and I would like to know him better. Since he's your son, uh, I was hoping you can illuminate me. I haven't been having the best relationship con Pa. This is what I know about him. He is a short Hispanic, hardworking, rusty, aging, 50-something-year-old man. As tall as me. Uh, That's where I get my height from. (laughs) Black, straight, short hair, what I was naturally born with. My father, your son, is not a touchy, feely, affectionate, talkative man. A gardener. A gardener who works through the hot sun wearing big pants, short sleeve shirts, and a bandana to cover his mouth. The only protection from the sun. I know that Ba and Ma were high school sweethearts, and they've been together ever since. I know that Ba left your home at 16 uh, to become part of the circus. He built the tents up and toured the U.S. for about two years. He doesn't work there anymore, but he goes to see them every time they come to to Ventura. I know that for the past year, he's been building a house in Mexico to live in. I know that my dad is a huge Raiders and Star Wars fanatic. Our house is covered with posters, shrines, and figurines of football players. His car is covered with stickers of the Raiders all over it. He even wanted to call our black and white cat Raiders. (laughs) But whenever I see him, I see this big question mark. Abuelita, I don't even know past age. He's a quiet man, but when at the verge, he blows up. I have to always say this, perfect sentences. I have to act a certain way, and I always have to do, I have to be doing something. I have tried many things to keep our one-sided relationship stable, like writing letters to him, making lists of things that I'd like to work on with him. 
he changes for a week and then goes back to being a question mark. Why am I the one to be the parent? He is the child that keeps everything to himself. Lots of people ask me why I don't have a good relationship, compa. And my honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I try to think about it and try blaming him. Oh, it's because he doesn't try. Or I have to do, I have to do all the loving. But I feel I know him about as well as I know you. And I've never met you in person. Not really. I really want to know how he was when he was younger. So when I get there, tell me everything, please. Explain every little detail so I can get to know him through you. And when I come back to the US, I will know and I can maybe make him proud. I've never left the country before. I'm especially looking forward to being in a place where so many people look like me. I'm excited to see the vendors, but I'm most excited about meeting you, Apolita. I love you. Hasta pronto, tu nieta, Kelly Kate Del Manzano. Dear Abuelita was written and performed by Kelly Del Manzano in August 2018. Okay, townies. This includes you, Miss Kelly. All righty. It's free writing time. You know the drill. I am going to give you a prompt, and for five minutes, more if you'd like, just write. Without editing yourself or stopping to think, just write. Pen to paper or fingers to keys, just keep going. Today's prompt? The question I don't have an answer for is... Great. <laughs> As always, make sure to title and save whatever you write today. Okay. <laughs> I know that you love your dad, and I know that you have a very difficult relationship with your dad. What made you think of the device of writing a letter to your grandmother as a way of dealing with that very complicated relationship? I think it's because when I talked to my mom about my dad, she knew as much as I did. Oh. Yeah. And the only little bits and pieces I knew about my dad is that he went to the circus mm -hmm. when he was 21, and his dad's like, okay, you can go. <laughs> and that's it. That's mm -hmm. basically all I really knew about him. And then he just traveled and stuff. But mm. um, my grandma, my abuelita, um, she's like the only real source that mm. I knew that I can get to get to know my dad. Mm -hmm. Because talking to my dad is talking to a brick wall. Yeah. And talking to my grandma is, is very expressive. And she mm. wants to talk to me all the time, like Aww. for hours and hours. But I totally forget how to, like, talk to her about, like, okay, like, tell me about dad. Mm -hmm. Because she wants to know everything about me, but sometimes I want to know about my dad and how she is and stuff. But Well, there is, I, when we were talking about this um, with Doug um, earlier in the episode, um, there's the family that you are born with. Um, and then he was speaking very much to this concept of, of a chosen family, especially for people from the LGBTQIA plus community um, who sometimes are not accepted 
by their family. There's no room for them to be who they are in their family. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that, well, then you go out and you pick your family. How do you, how does that resonate with you? And have you done that? I have done that. Um, Sometimes I always tell my best friend, I love you whenever we leave. Mm -hmm. Like we leave each other when, after we hang out. Mm -hmm. And I have my chosen family, like my best friends and some of my like, Ohio Players Conference friends and stuff, mm-hmm. and you, obviously, oh. and just people around me that I really, really trust with my life. Oh. Well, speaking of it, we have a very different relationship with your mom. Like, you and your mom are very, very close. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure if I remember this correctly because it was six years ago now, but I think I remember it was a combination of your mom and Maggie Shermanero who got you, shy Kelly, in seventh grade saying, no, 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 please leave me alone, into the class in the first place. Yeah. So it wasn't really like you weren't like, yay, I choose this class. It was kind of like you were... Kind of pushed. Kind of pushed into it. Yeah. Um, what made me say yes was because she, I didn't know that she had a scholarship for me. And I was like, oh, hmm. you paid. You're going to pay money. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, this is another person's money. And I have to, like, do it because they already paid. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the, there was the pressure of the cash money baby. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Well, what did you think then? Well, you obviously, somebody had paid for this class. You have the pressure of wanting to do well for them. And you have to take the class and you show up and there's like loud lady who's like, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And there's all these other kids there. What did you think when you first got to class? Oh, I was terrified. I got inside the studio and I'm like, um, could I, could I go back to my car? (laughs) Oh, and then when when did it really turn? When did it become yours? Because you went from being the shy kid who needed to be supported to a leader in class who was welcoming new people. And when did that shift happen for you, where it became your class? Um, I think it was like the second year in, mm-hmm. actually, um, because. I was just super excited. I was like, oh, August is coming. August is coming. And then Mm -hmm. everyone's like, what's in August? Yeah, it's summer, but that's the end of summer. And I was like, oh, it's because of Kim Maxwell Studios class or Uh the Ohio Parents Conference. Mm -hmm. And I just got super excited. And when I first got into the studio, I'm like, I'm back home. Oh. Yeah. Like being at Besson Hill, like my favorite part of Ohio. Like Uh absolutely the most fabulous, like, outgoing place ever Mm. and all these people around it just makes me feel so happy Mm -hmm. and every single time I think about Besant Hill and all the playwrights and Mm -hmm. all the plays all the people actors everyone Mm -hmm. it breaks me a really big smile to my face because I can't wait to do it over and over and over again Mm. and that's just when I was like I really love doing this oh so Obviously, you have achieved many of, like, the things that you would hope for yourself that you kind of kept quiet and on the inside. Oh, yeah. You've achieved a bunch of those. But as you were an artist and you were always growing, yeah. what's next? Like, what's your, what, what are your other big dreams? What are you looking forward to? Well, I've been writing this these two books, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I'm very creatively driven with my dreams. Mm-hmm. And every single dream that I have, I'll write it down, like a mm-hmm. dream journal. And these two dreams I had just were so, so, like, imaginative, so picturesque. I can see them all, and I wrote them all down. Oh, wow. And when I was younger, like, 
when I first had this dream when I was like probably 15 mm -hmm. I told myself I want to write a book and I want to publish it until like before I graduate and I'm like that's not gonna happen <laughs> but I want to publish my books probably before college ends maybe it's mm -hmm. still like it's a bucket full thing mm -hmm. like, you know Oh, well, tell me about your bucket full thing. What do you do to keep, I mean, that's obviously something that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And on the way to a really big goal like that, it's a, it's a lot to write a book. Oh, yeah. How do you keep yourself inspired? How do you keep your bucket full um, as you're moving towards something? Like, what are some of the fun things that you do to care self for self-care that you take care of yourself with? Um, well, with my books, I keep inspired with them by just getting to know my character more mm -hmm. because she likes taking pictures and she likes being alone and stuff. And then mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can become friends with pers with this person mm -hmm. and then let me create some more characteristics about her. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I people watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's kind of creepy in a way, but... <laughs> I kind of get people's characters and mm -hmm. put them on my character. Okay, where's the best place to people watch in Ojai? Um, probably Libby Bowl. <gasps> Excellent. Yeah. Where in Libby Bowl? Is it near the fountain or near? Yes, the right across the fountain. But mm -hmm. the one, like the bench that's near, like the playground, mm -hmm. not near the street. Mm -hmm. So I can see the fountain. I can see the kids. I can see all the people, like at the casebo mm -hmm. i can kind of see the people at the um what's it called the auditorium mm -hmm. so i i see a lot of people <laughs> wow but also working at a grocery store it helps <laughs> a lot <laughs> so all these people coming in and out in and out mm -hmm. i see a lot of people and i'm like oh okay this is a this person's interesting this person's wow. so people's behavior um and and how they are and who they are is very informative for you oh yeah oh well since you have achieved so many of your dreams and you are in hot pursuit of the big what next, what advice would you offer to a, a new young up-and-comer who has a dream that they think is way too big and they just shouldn't and they're like, oh, no, 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 that's too big. I can't do it. It's not too big. It's not too big? No. It might take you a little longer than high school, but it's not too big? Mm-hmm. And what would you say? What would be their first step toward it? Mm, just pick at it. You know, with a little shovel. Just get a little shovel and just start like little tiny chips. Yep. A little bit at a time. And then when they get more comfortable, they could get a normal sh shovel. And then when they get more comfortable like me, they'll the probably pick. get... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and just go for it. Dig and dig and dig. Oh. So just keep digging then. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming in, especially on the day when you are graduating. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I can't tell you how proud I am of you. I know how hard school was for you and how much extra time you had to put into it. You are adored. Aww, thank you. Happy graduation day. Thank you. Bye, my precious. Bye-bye. I'm from here. Here's the story. We are the Townies, and we are back every other Tuesday with original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio and the Townies, Inc. We are in the business of connecting people one story at a time. The Townies podcast is produced by Lily Brown, Ken Eros, and me. 
with studio engineering and mixing by Arrows Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. Thank you to today's storytellers and music contributors, to every single donor, listener, supporter, to our board of directors, to the people who inspire us and keep us moving forward, Molly Allison, Woody Brown, Cleo Charpentier, Patrick Lashley, Asa Larmonth, Olivia Lors, Amaury Sagron, April Theriault, Marissa Utz, and happy birthday Kathleen Helwitz, and so many more people. This podcast is made possible in part by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, and a big old shout out to our corporate sponsor, Rabobank. You can find out more about us and today's storytellers at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Um, the smaller is to remove all... <laughs> Potential snark from Doug's voice when he talks about all this. No, I'm kidding. That's impossible. That's that's like. I well, do have a snark filter. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's new since that's... last time I was here. <laughs> now it's just gonna be like no it sound was, whatsoever. <laughs> it was integrated when you became a regular here at the studio. Yeah. Oh no, we're going to have to create a snark filter. The threshold is set so high that it only has been triggered when Doug's in. Here. <laughs> Everything Kim just kind of slides by. Mm-hmm. <laughs>